0: Hey everyone, it's Abadessi, your host of Product Hunt Radio, where I'm joined by the founders, investors, and makers that are shaping the future of tech. In this episode, I speak to Ryan Simonetti, CEO and co-founder of Convene, a company that brings the level of hospitality you'd expect to find at the world's greatest hotels to the meeting, event, and flexible office space. Convene has locations across the U.S. and recently expanded internationally into my hometown, London. In this interview, Ryan talks to us about the future of working and why it's increasingly important for spaces to spark human potential. Convene's clients include some of the world's largest employers, and in this interview, he shares insight into how they are thinking about the future of work, building culture, and making sure they get the most out of their teams. Enjoy. Building good products takes a long time. Everyone knows that. A lot of time goes into troubleshooting your apps pre- and post-deployment. Now with Headspin, the world's first connected intelligence platform, dev teams, QA, and product teams can save countless hours with unified testing, monitoring, and analytics across applications, devices, and networks. Headspin accelerates time to market and optimizes the performance and functionality of your digital experiences, enabled by mobile, web, IoT, and 5G technologies. Learn more at www.headspin.io. Ryan, thank you so much for being on Product Hunt Radio today. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show. It's a really exciting time for your company. I know you just expanded internationally, so I feel like there are so many different things. I want to ask you to share all the learnings with the makers that are listening. Um, but I thought it might be fun for you to just tell us a bit about yourself and your company to begin with before I dive into it.
1: Yeah, definitely. And uh, you know, thank you so much for having me on today. It's uh, it's always an, an honor to get to share. You know, not just the convenient story, but my story. Um, and so I guess I should start there. Uh, you know, I always say that entrepreneurship is part nature, part nurture. Uh, and my dad, who uh, was a big influence on my life, was a small business owner growing up as a kid. Uh, and so to some extent, I think I was a little bit destined at some point to want to venture out and do something on my own. You know, the start of the convene story, um, you know, I think, really starts in, in 2008. Uh, and at that time, I was working for... Uh, a real estate investment company uh, in New York City called Gramercy Capital. Uh, And I was actually leading one of our investment teams. uh, And it just so happened that I predominantly focused on office buildings and on hotels. And what was really interesting to me at that time, and this was kind of during the kind of the birth of lifestyle as a movement, right? And you've got Equinox on the wellness side taking off you've got the boutique hotel movement really starting. And from a kind of residential condo perspective, you're starting to see kind of lifestyle amenities and services emerge in residential. If you sat with a hotel owner and asked them how they think about creating value in a hotel, everything was around customer experience and design and how could they leverage technology and hospitality to create value, not just for the customer, but ultimately for them as the owner of of the hotel. And that was very different than the conversation you would have with an office owner, right? Or an office building uh, investor where there was no mention of customer experience. There was never any talk about design or customer journey, or how do I leverage technology to make showing up to work every day in a building a better experience? How do I use hospitality and services to make buildings more hospitable and enjoyable for the people that have to show up in them every day. And I think as we all know, whether you're working from home or not, we all work a lot. People oftentimes spend more time working than they do other things. Um, And I just thought that the way that experiences were being delivered in buildings had to change. And so the question I asked myself back in 2008 was, well, what if you ran an office building like a hotel? And what if you thought about the customer not as a tenant, but as a user? And how would you think differently about creating that experience? And for me, you know, being a kid that kind of grew up in and around the hospitality industry, to me, creating that value starts with a human touch. And when I think about Convene and what's made us so unique is really the hospitality and the human delivery of our service model. Um, And so if you think about the company today now, 10 years old, almost 1,000 employees, um, 32 locations across six cities, expanding globally. While we do an amazing job designing beautiful places to meet and to work, and our technology is seamless and incredible, our food is incredible, what differentiates the brand is the fact that the people that work in this company that are on-site delivering experiences to our clients every day they just genuinely care and they do that in such an authentic and genuine way. And that's Amazing. made this such, you know, I think a special company uh, and has made us such a special brand.
0: That's so interesting. Thank you so much for, um, yeah, sharing background and kind of sharing more of the origins. Funnily enough, our founder, Ryan Hoover, also grew up um, in an entrepreneur household. So, um, you know, he used to work at his parents' video game store. And I find it really interesting. I think there's some research that shows that if you grow up in a house with entrepreneurs, you're like, 100x more likely to be an entrepreneur or something crazy than, than people who aren't. Don't quote me on that exact statistic, but um, there's definitely um, this transference of inspiration that happens when you see folks out there doing their own thing, which is incredible. So, just coming back to Convene and you know the ten year journey, which is absolutely incredible. I mean, the fact that you're still there, you're still growing you know a thousand employees all across the u s. You just um opened in London a few months ago. One of the things that's really interesting about your business strategy is that you work with a lot of enterprise clients. Um, you know, some of the names of, you know, of companies you partner with are absolutely incredible from Barclays to and Young. I just wonder, given these are companies that actually have like a ton of money to invest in their own spaces and, you know, a lot of them do with incredible headquarters across big capital cities, what is it about that, you know, what you offer that helps you win those partnerships? And what has that made you realize about the way big enterprises and big corporations are thinking about? workspaces and meeting spaces in the
1: future? So I I think you're taking a little bit of a step back and just thinking about what's happening from a macro perspective. And, you know, Mm. before we started, you were talking about remote work. And to me, it's really about the nature of work and and how we as individuals and also we as teams and organizations uh, ultimately get things done. The first thing is the way that we work, right, or as individuals and as teams um, has fundamentally changed. It is more collaborative. The needs are different than they were in the past. And because of the way that we as individuals have changed, it's forcing companies to rethink the way that they actually consume real estate. And it wasn't that long ago that all the companies that you mentioned, right? Barclays, PwC, they would do everything on their own, right? If they wanted a workspace, they would find a landlord, a building, they would take space, they would design it, they would build it. All of the services, right? The meeting and conferencing space, the food and beverage, the uh, collaboration spaces, the services, all of that stuff, they would self-operate or self-perform. And Yes, I think what we've seen happen is that as the demands of today's talent are changing, right, that's both from an experience perspective, a choice of where I work, when I work, how I work, with whom I work, and also in the environments that I work, what we're finding is that there's so much pressure now on those corporations to deliver experience in a way. They haven't in the past. And what they're now figuring out is, you know what? If I'm Barclays or PwC, is my core competency, is my core business delivering the best possible day at work every day for my people? Is it delivering the best possible meeting experience for my clients? And I think most sophisticated companies today are realizing that if it's not their core, you're better off outsourcing it. And that's really what I mean is getting the benefit of is this shift from I used to insource and do all of this stuff on my own to, Hey, I'm actually better off outsourcing to a company like convene who understands how to design spaces, who knows how to deliver food and beverage, who understands how to deliver a a true human to human hospitality experience. Why would I ever want to be in that business if I could outsource that? Right. And that's really what we're seeing the benefit of is that, Kind of macro shift towards outsourcing.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, I think it's so incredible to be able to identify what the trend is and you know what's happening. Identify the problem and and frame your product as the solution to that. Because when I think of our makers community, you know we're having new discussions cropping up every day where makers have created a B two B solution. They're targeting. Enterprise companies, you know, can be a really long sales cycle. It can be really difficult to get through to the right decision maker. It can be tough to close those deals. And I think there's a lot in what you said there that makers should listen out for. And, you know, certainly one of those things is exactly what you've just identified. You know, here is the macro trend. Here is the challenge that you have. You know, we're not equipped to deal with this. And then presenting yourself as a solution. Do you feel that's something that was always very easy for you to articulate? Let's say at the beginning of the journey, or do you feel that that's something that you, you know, as CEO and founder, got better at articulating as the company grew and you had more conversations with clients?
1: Look, I, you know, I think your vision as a founder, as a CEO, it it always gets clearer over time. You know, I always joke that, you know, when you're starting a business as an entrepreneur, you've probably identified a problem or a challenge. You have I think the framework of a solution, but never really the solution. And you have this kind of vision of where you want to go. I think about it as like kind of Christopher Columbus sailing across the ocean saying, I'm gonna find the new world. And it's over there. And you know, I think as an entrepreneur, you have to be brave enough to be willing to jump in that ship and head to the new world. But for me, the more time that goes on, the more conversations you have with customers, the more you learn not just as an individual leader, but as an organization, the clearer the vision becomes, you know, that's the beauty of the entrepreneurial journey um, is the longer that you're on it, the longer you're working on the same idea or the same platform, oftentimes the more crystallized the vision becomes. Uh, And so I think the benefit now of having been doing this for 10 years is not only the ability to spot the trend, but really understand exactly how we need to design our products and services based on our competencies and capabilities to actually execute against what that solution needs to be.
0: I'm just curious because a lot, you know, you are a co-founder too. Of course, you are the CEO, but you do work with a co-founder. A lot of conversations that crop up in the community, folks who are still in much earlier stages than yourself, I know you've just raised a really impressive series D, so you're definitely further down the line, Um, but folks are, you know, finding their first co-founders or rather working their with their first co-founders. And I just wondered what advice can you give for founders about sharing responsibilities in in a way that makes sense to the company and, and maybe even like whether there should be any flexibility around the division of those roles for the benefit of the company?
1: Look, it's, it's a great question. And obviously, you know, something that, you know, my co-founder and I have, have obviously gone through together. And I think the role of founders changes a lot over time. And I think partnerships evolve over time. And, you know, even if you are really clear the day you start, it's going to evolve over time, right? As the business evolves, as life evolves. And and I think you have to be open-minded enough um, to go on that journey together, um, whether that's as co-founders or even as a a founding team. When thinking about choosing a co-founder, The first thing I would say is you actually have to know yourself. What are your superpowers and what are your strengths? And if you're going to choose a co-founder, you want to make sure that you're aligning yourself with somebody that doesn't have the same superpowers that you do, but is complementary, right? And as a team, you can do more together than you can individually as let's say as a sole founder. So I think that that's really, really important is what I think about as kind of acute awareness of self. The second thing is more important than being aligned on the vision or what the idea is or how big the TAM is and all of that exciting stuff is the most important thing is making sure like at your core as human beings, do you fundamentally believe and value the same things? Like, are you working from the same set of core values? Right. And I think about the partnership with a co-founder as you would a marriage or a best friendship. And if you look at those relationships, they're solid because at the core, you're working from a shared set of core values. And to me, if you end up in a partnership or a relationship or a situation where, with co-founders where you are not philosophically aligned at that values foundational level, the stress and pressure of what that business will bring will break that partnership. Right. And so I think thankfully for for me and my co-founder, not only were we great friends and were we very aligned on our vision, but like as core, as human beings, we valued the same stuff. And no matter what happened, we were always aligned because we were fundamentally aligned at our core as human beings around what we value, what integrity means to us, what authenticity means to us, what resilience means to us. And I think that that's really, really important. And I think a lot of times founders overlook the importance of that and instead focus on the idea or how can we get quickly to an MVP or how can I raise money? And all of that is great, but without a solid foundation, my sense is that those things don't happen. And having been around a lot of teams, having been an angel and venture investor myself, I've seen more businesses get sidetracked not because it wasn't the right idea or they didn't have great partners but because of bad dynamics amongst founding team or of founders
0: wow thanks so much for sharing that just building on the idea of like you know the importance of values and you know what the foundations are for a company to survive as long as yours has has scaled to the point where it has to gain the trust of investors to you know raise so many rounds there's obviously such a strong you know culture and direction that's been baked into your brand. And I think it's a really interesting case study for all types of makers to um, learn from because you have so many different locations all across the country and now all across the world, and at each of them you're delivering five star service. You're delivering a very premium, unique offering. I was just wondering if you could share some insight on how you as a CEO create consistently high standards across all your different locations so that when folks interact with the Convene brand it's always the same experience.
1: Yeah, well to me I think that really starts with with culture and you know I think our philosophy not just around how we deliver hospitality and the principles that guide us but how focused we are on Making sure that we're hiring the right people and we're giving them the tools to deliver that great service. You know our chairman, uh, who was formerly the CEO of, of Starwood Hotel Group, he came to uh, our town hall back in November, and he said something that really resonated with me, and it's so simple. He said, to be successful in the hospitality business, it's not that complicated. One, happy employees and engaged employees lead to happy customers happy customers spend more money and do more business with you. And he literally boiled our entire business down to those three things. What that means to us. And and thankfully we've always done this since day one is we focus and we obsess over customer experience, but we put that same energy and attention into employee experience and team member experience. Right. And then everything from our core values, grid, genuine, relentless, integrity, teamwork, our philosophy of one percent better each day. But it filters into how we hire our onboarding process, our our learning and development strategy, how we train people, how we motivate people, how we compensate people. And I think um, the thing that I'm most proud of over the last 10 years is how recognized we've been for the culture that we've built and the feedback that we've received from the people that work for this company that you know we're living up to our promise to them of, of making the convene the best possible place to build a career in the hospitality industry.
0: Today's show is supported by Remote Health from Safety Wing. Remote Health is the first global health insurance built specifically for remote teams and entrepreneurs. Attract talent from anywhere in the world under one simple plan at the same price, no matter where they live or work. Sign up your company in about 10 minutes and easily add remote employees at any time. Check out safetywing.com forward slash remote hyphen health for more information. Protect your customers from fraud and identity theft with Embed ID a front-end tool that ensures you collect the right data during account opening for identity verification in every country. With TrulyU Embed ID, all you have to do is copy and paste a snippet of code to verify the globe. Make sure you only let the good guys in while keeping the bad guys at bay by onboarding verified customers. Visit trulyu.com forward slash get embed ID. That's T-R-U-L-I-O-O dot com forward slash get E-M-B-E-D-I-D. That's amazing. And when you think of the culture, what about it do you think has been the most challenging to enforce or keep consistent or create? And the reason I just want to press you for a bit more information is because you know, it is hard to build a cohesive culture. It's really challenging. And usually what happens is as companies scale, as companies expand into new markets, people tend to neglect that part of the company. And in many ways, it is the glue that keeps everyone together. And it's what keeps folks feeling fulfilled and motivated. So yeah, just curious to hear, you know, about any challenges you faced in terms of, you know, growing culture or like enforcing culture and any advice you can share around how you learned from that.
1: Being in a high growth business, right. And I don't know, you know, every listener is probably at a different phase, but, you know, being kind of a a hyper growth business at scale where you're operating in many geographies, um, hiring sometimes, you know, not just hundreds of people a year, but potentially a hundred people in a month. You know, maintaining culture is is not easy. It's really hard. And, you know, I think what we've learned over the last 10 years, and we've had to kind of reshape our process and thinking around this, is we kind of had to demystify culture a little bit. And actually, what is it really at the end of the day? Um, And to me, when I think about the culture at Convene, it's about a shared set of values and beliefs, like this idea of grit and Um, working with like-minded people that kind of believe and have a similar life philosophy and are also at the same time rallied around a singular vision and mission, which is the company, right? Convene and and, uh, our vision. Um, And so when we think about culture, I always say culture starts before somebody's hired, right? It starts in the hiring process. It's solidified during the onboarding process. And it's maintained through the rituals that you create to celebrate that culture. Some of the things that we've done, which has been really powerful for us is we always wanted to build a culture of gratitude. There's a tremendous amount of handwritten notes that are being sent around the company because every week in our exec meetings, we write handwritten notes to thank people in our organization for going above and beyond right? I love that. So there's all of these little rituals that you can create, I think, as an organization to kind of celebrate and solidify the things that are meaningful to you as an organization and to your culture. And then the last thing that's really important is, to me, culture is always driven by what you tolerate to allow happen or behavior you have happen in your company. Yes, definitely. If you're a company like Convene who's so kind of core values focused, right? And let's say you're genuine, relentless, integrity, teamwork. Well, if there's behaviors in the company by individuals that run counter to that, and we either don't say anything or tolerate that, then what are we saying to the organization? we're saying that grit actually isn't that important because these people over here can behave however they want to, and we're going to do nothing about it. And what I've observed in convene, we call it offense and defense on culture, but what I've observed is the company right now has built up its own like immune system. When people come into the company though, that they're not values aligned, there's literally like zero tolerance for it. Right. And Every company in their culture is going to be different, right? Like for us, our high bar in our hiring process is values alignment, right? Other companies might be technical knowledge for expertise, but for us, it's about values alignment. And I think we've just done a really, really good job as a company making sure that we're not hiring people that aren't values aligned.
0: Incredible. I really like that. It's interesting because not that many people I've interviewed on the show have pointed out how important it is to not only know what you want, but also know where you draw the line. And uh, I feel like you articulated that very well. A huge part of culture is also identifying when people don't cut it, even if they do perhaps cut it on other levels, if they don't align with the values or they're behaving in a way that is counter to the values, despite, let's say, getting results or hitting goals. That is a problem and that will create more problems for the company down the line.
1: Yeah, and I think to build on that, you know, one of the things that's been really interesting is you can have people with a core set of values and beliefs but with a tremendous amount of diversity in ethnicity in gender and in perspective Right. So this idea of, Oh, we want to create this culture. It doesn't mean you go out and hire a bunch of the same people that look the same or think the same for us. It's allowed us actually like to find people that share this core belief system, but at the same time, build an incredibly diverse workforce. And I think that also strengthened our culture because our culture now is so much more worldly in its thinking. It's so much more broad in its application and we're also allowing our culture, we're not making our culture so rigid that we don't allow it to be locally influenced by teams or by geographies, right? And for example, like our engineering team, they're convened and they are convened culture, but there's a uniqueness to engineering as a culture, just like there is to marketing or sales. Got it. We're really celebrating that as a company. Uh, and again, I think that's one of the reasons why um, you know, we've been able to attract and retain the people we have and why we've been so successful.
0: Amazing. Yeah, really, really encouraging words there. I feel like folks will be tempted to check your jobs board for sure. I'd love to look to the future. Before we started recording, I talked to you about how remote working is you a know, huge movement that our community is totally plugged into, totally inspired by you know, really rallying behind, you've already alluded to it just now when you've been speaking about building your culture, but, you know, the advantages I feel are very well reported everywhere and allows you to access talent regardless of where they are. I'm just wondering now that you've been running this company for 10 years and, you know, you've identified these macro trends, you know, how do we optimize for the best experiences? How do we get the most out of people when we bring them together, whether that's teams or clients? Do you see a future where, for example, these huge enterprise companies you're working with would not have any fixed places at all? Or what does it look like to you if we think 10, 20 years into the future?
1: Um, I'm going to answer this question in in three parts. Um, The first part is, uh, what does the future of work look like? Um, And I would say it will revolve around three things. One, where I work, when I work, how I work, with whom I work to flexibility, right? Which to me is an extension of choice. And the third is experience. And so that's kind of future of work, I think will be defined in those three buckets. The second part of the answer is, well, what does that mean for space and or place? And I I personally believe that regardless of whether I work from home or I don't, that place is still really, really important, right? Places where I go to collaborate with other people, places where I go to for human interaction, places where I go to reconnect with my company's culture, right? Places where I go to meet. And so even though the future of work will be more distributed, It doesn't mean that place isn't important. And if you think about Convene's business, we're a hospitality company that partners with Class A building owners to create those places, inspiring places to meet, to work, to host events, to collaborate, to do all of those things. So I'd say no matter what happens, place will continue to be really, really important uh, as an extension of the future of work. And then I think the third thing is, well, what does that mean for the future strategy of companies, big and small, as it relates to how they think about their own workplace or their own real estate? And I think the word that will define this is fluidity. Right. Right. If I'm a company, I want to be able to deliver a consistent, magical experience to my team, my employees, whether they work from home, whether they... Are in my office, whether they're working from a convene or whether they're working from the local coffee shop down the street. Um, And I believe that people and companies will move in a fluid manner throughout all of these different types of spaces, home, office, third place, coffee shop, uh, etc., And then I'd say from a strategic perspective, my belief is that more companies will outsource as opposed to insource. And we're already seeing this today. We have companies um, that are are, workplace customers of ours and meetings customers of ours today who they were founded in the last five years. they started their company in co-working spaces. They've now built those businesses into national businesses with many offices and lots of square footage. And they're not signing any leases on their own and running any of their workplace. Like they are fundamentally committed to outsourcing that entire experience to companies like us. And so I think that there's a whole generation of companies today that are being born that will never sign a lease for their own office and will outsource to companies like Convene, regardless of how big they ever get. Yeah. Like the remote first culture almost. (laughs) Exactly. I think it's remote first and experience first. Amazing. Remote first and experience first.
0: That's the kind of world I like to live in. I like that. Um, incredible. Thanks so much, Ryan. So, another thing that uh, the community are always jazzed to hear about are how incredible, accomplished people like yourself invest in themselves. I know there's a ton that you learn as you're going, you know, 10 years into running a company, there's going to be so much firsthand experience you've gained. But people also like to carve out time to read or go to workshops, go to conferences, whatever it might be. So I just would love to ask you, you know, whatever time you have for yourself, what do you do to invest in yourself so that you can continue developing as an entrepreneur, as a leader?
1: I'd say a few things. Um, They're kind of like my own little mini hacks. The first is, you know, I think as a founder and CEO of a high growth business, that's obviously really stressful. and And I think it's so important to make sure that you still focus on your physical and and mental well-being. Um, And so I make sure that like in my routine almost every day is that even if I have to sacrifice a little bit of sleep, I make sure that I get to a gym, get to a workout class. I use my Peloton app, Um, whether I work out or I meditate, I make sure that I'm dedicating time for myself. Each and every day um, to focus on kind of my physical and mental well being. I think it's really important and a strategic part of just being a great leader. Is like if you're not physically feeling well and you're emotionally or mentally not in a great space, like how could you ever be a great leader or a great strategist? I think that that's really important. The second thing, you know, uh, in addition to my day job, um, you know, I'm also a husband. I'm a, a father. I've got two young kids and. I've really had to become disciplined to make sure that when I'm with them, like the phone has to go away and I really need to be hundred percent present and focused on them and making sure that I get that time with them. You, know, at the end of my life, there won't be a tombstone that says like he was a great businessman. He made X amount of money. It's going to say, were you a great father, husband, friend, leader, human being? Um, And I think it's really important, like I can't get that time back with my kids and with my wife. So um, making sure I spend that time is really important each week. Um, And then the third thing uh, is making sure that I always surround myself with mentors and I have an executive coach that I've worked with for almost a decade as well. Um, you know, one of the challenges I think you have as a young founder, a young CEO, a young entrepreneur is you don't have the benefit of experience, right? Oftentimes when I'm going through something, it's not the second or third time I'm going through it as a CEO. It's the first time. And I've always been willing and open to asking people who have more experience than me for their feedback, their input. No question too dumb, no question too hard. And, you know, I really don't think I would be where I am today if it wasn't for the support, the guidance and the mentorship of the people that I've been blessed enough to surround myself with, including the leadership team that I work with. And so I just think that that's a really important part, especially for kind of a first time founder, or CEO, you know. Don't be afraid to ask for help and surround yourself with mentors and and people that genuinely care about you and have more experience than you. And never be afraid to steal wisdom. I like to think about myself in the wisdom theft business. And the more I can steal, the smarter I feel. And, uh, you know, I think that that's just a great tip for any kind of young entrepreneur or CEO.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, I love that. And it rhymes. So, you know, that's always a winner.
1: (laughs) Yeah, if it rhymes, even better.
0: (laughs) Amazing. Thank you so much. So, okay, this is my favorite part of the podcast, because being Product Hunt, of course, we're all obsessed with products. So this is the fun part of the show where we just get to hear from you about tools or products or websites or whatever it is that you're obsessed with right now. And maybe it's something that's always on your home screen. Maybe it's something fun you just got for your kids. I don't know. But we always have to hear about cool new products. So please let us know what you're playing with
1: these days. Um, well, since the wellness thing is really big, I, you know, I've, I've I was an early, uh, headspace adopter, uh, which I still do, but now I never thought I would be a digital workout person ever in my life. I was anti, but like Peloton has become kind of all consuming and I use it not just to work out, but they've now got like mindfulness, uh, channels, uh, and all that sort of stuff. I just downloaded, uh, I think it's Blinkist, which is to kind of, it's, to help accelerate the speed at which I can digest books and content. It's so good. I turned my nose
0: up at it, at it, at like the first time I heard it, I was like, Oh wait, am I like supportive of an app that turns books into summaries? But I've realized I am because I hoard nonfiction books. I, every time someone recommends one, I'm just like, yeah, sure. I'll buy it. And then I never read them. And now with Blinkist, I can actually decide if I'm going to read the whole book based on the summary.
1: I was an early hater as well, but I finally came around to adopt and, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie, I think I got through high school and college with Cliff Notes. So to some extent I am yeah. there. Um, so uh, but that's one that I'm using now. And then honestly, like I hate to be so boring and say it, but that simple little just like note tab in my iPhone, like my life runs in that thing. <laughs> it's so simple and not sophisticated at all. But like I literally don't think I could get through a day or a week without that. Those are a a few of the ones that um, um, I'm playing with right now.
0: Amazing. That's so cool. Yeah, thanks for sharing. And yeah, Blinkist, gosh, honestly, what a time saver. Also, if you're about to, you know, often at tech parties, everyone's reading the same books, talking about the same thing. And then sometimes you just, you don't know what people are talking about. Now with Blinkist, I can look informed. I can be like, well, I read the Blinks. So here's my take.
1: Yeah. And by the way, for anybody that's going to listen into podcasts, I read a book last year, which is very much for, I think, growth companies. That's become one of my favorites. It's called The Metal okay. Middle, Scott Belsky. Um, it was oh, amazing. For anyone that's really in kind of scaling growth mode, uh, I'd highly recommend the read. Oh, great. Wonderful. Yeah. We're always always talking about book recommendations in the community.
0: So that's wonderful. So Ryan, for folks who've been listening and are like, okay, this is great. I want to find out more about him. I want to find out more about Convene. Where can they go?
1: Convene.com. Uh, if you're looking for the best place to meet or to work in our six US cities, and now soon to be London, uh, we'd love to have you be a part of our community. Uh, and then you can follow me on Twitter at RWSimonetti to keep up with all things Convene and occasionally all things Ryan Simonetti.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: All right. Awesome. Thank you so much.
0: Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to Product Hunt Radio. I've got a favor to ask you. Will you take a minute to review us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to us right now? Thank you.
1: Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week. But in the meantime... Share the podcast with your friends on Twitter and tag a guest you'd like to hear in a future episode. See you soon.